0: Netcasting from Chicago, Los Angeles, and Sydney. You're listening to this week's FX Podcast from fxguide.com.
1: Hi, and welcome to the FX Podcast. I'm John Montgomery. Awards season is in full swing, and to that end, our podcast today focuses on the work of one of the films nominated for Best Visual Effects Oscar, and that's Black Panther, Wakanda Forever. Our guest for this episode is ILM VFX supervisor Craig Hammock, and I think one of the interesting things the guys discuss is the combination of on-set practical water effects with rendered CGI water. They had huge practical dump tanks on set for interactive water effects with the street and talent, and I, I won't spoil it, but Craig has some really interesting insight into the actually just what that tech entailed on set. Um, but then they had to blend that seamlessly with the CGI renders. And it's really some painstaking work to pull that off and do all the sex set extensions and stuff. And as Mike mentions, well, they, they certainly did pull it off. So let's go ahead and join Mike and Craig for their conversation. Can we start with what's what have you
0: most recently come off? I guess is my, my critical question of what we can talk about. What was the timeline in terms of like uh Black Leading Panther it. and stuff?
2: Before Black Panther, I was I had started talking to Jeff about it um, when we were doing Black Widow, again. Okay. So Jeff Bauman being the Marvel uh, visual effects supervisor.
0: Yeah. So it was quite a lot of like, like, it seems like you had quite a bit of time to think about it coming into the project, right? Like
2: I did, I did. We we had um, discussed quite a bit about different uh, aspects of the story that Island might tackle and um you know, uh gathering various reels you know to get in front of uh, him and Ryan to start talking about methodologies and and whatnot. you know, there was an obvious choice for us to do Wakanda um since we had done it for the first movie. yep, and uh, that build was was quite extensive, so you know the idea of uh, sharing that to someone else would be you know painful to say the least. Um, so it was always it was always understood that we would be doing you know, uh the city work and the majority of of the general Wakanda world. Um you know, there was uh, early talks about uh whether we would take some of the underwater work, um, but it just made it made sense once the shot numbers came in to completely split that off. Yeah. We still did some of the you know, we still did all the underwater stuff that happens inside Wakanda, but
0: it made sense to send somewhere else. And what was your sort of shot count on on the film? Just, I know it's a terrible metric, but just as a gauge. (laughs) Uh, It was right around
2: 500 shots.
0: Okay. And so uh, what I always find interesting in a project like this is when you've got Wakanda, which we've seen in a previous film, um, but it's a different parts of Wakanda. Obviously it wasn't exactly the same parts of the city, but then you're also wanting to update both for those new parts and for new technology and for just, you know, whatever. And yet, of course we need as an audience to remember it as the same place because it wasn't a plot point that it had dramatically changed i'm just right. like wondering if you could talk to that in terms of assets and development and that duality of like being new and also being referential to the old
2: yeah it's it was quite a challenge because um like i say it was it was quite an extensive build for the first movie um and going into it like we have things working in our favor and that it is a unique city it has a unique look. It has a unique um, kind of color palette and structure to it that is easily recognizable. Um, so it, it, you know as long as we adhered to you know the the architecture of the palace remaining the same, you know a lot of the uh, larger iconic buildings and the general landscape structure, we could we could get away with a lot. Um, you know, having said that, we we did kind of faithfully restore the city, um, uh, asset from the first movie, uh, which was, was very painful. <laughs> um, and, you know, in this business, two years means a whole different pipeline, um, in a lot of cases. Um, so, you know, we also had, uh, going into it, the knowledge that we would need to flood, uh, the city. So, which brings with it, you know, its own constraints of watertight you know, buildings and, and, um, you know, certain, uh, construction constraints that the first well, it's one also didn't a need a
0: destruction possible. constraints, right?
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's all the same. Like it, it, um, it meant that we couldn't reuse a lot of the first movie when it comes to the scenes, um, that needed to have, uh, flooding or, uh, destruction in and yeah. knowing that it was one, um, we, we chose early on, you know, to, to basically push as much as we could into uh, Houdini. It, the first movie, the asset was done in, in a 3DS Max pipeline. Um, and all of our, you know, uh, water effects tools at, at this point have mostly migrated into Houdini. So we knew that we would um, need that kind of close coupling um, between the two and decided uh to push the environment into houdini so that everybody was working in the same uh under the same umbrella of of a, a software package um you know that that meant a lot of training that meant a lot of you know uh, hundreds of buildings uh uh of assets being converted over you know in in a lot of cases restructured to to again support the effects work Um, And then it also meant, you know, our our environment uh, for a long time has has been done in uh, V-Ray, rendered in V-Ray. You know, and certainly the first movie, um, those shots were done in V-Ray. And so, you know, we were able to maintain the Houdini V-Ray workflow um, for the rendering through the environment. But it also meant that to take advantage, to take full advantage of it all being under the same uh, software, we would need to push the the effects work to be rendered in V-Ray as
0: well, um, which,
2: again, previous setups had been um, heavily kind of Mantra-based.
0: So, yeah, I mean, Mantra is uh, a great renderer, but, yeah, to, I can see why you'd want to do that.
2: Yeah, so the idea, and, you know, it, it was it was fortunate we did. Like, you know, we were able to leverage, you know, true refract, re- reflection, refraction um, to the environments um you know uh share kind of wet maps into environment renders that kind of stuff that uh is typically really difficult to do with the kind of um the amount of data that we're talking about both in the city and in the water work
0: yeah obviously it's the film's got very well and congratulations on the nomination and i was at the bake-off and the thing at the bake-off i thought was really interesting when i was watching it is like there were shots in there and I, 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 for my purposes, I'd love to clarify like where ILM stopped and started, but like there were shots in there that even though I was at the bake-off and even though it was being explained and even though I've seen the film twice and everything else, I still couldn't work out how you were getting away with it. Um, And it revolved around how the city was working when you had these big practical dump tanks and then you mm-hmm. were doing extensions and blending stuff in. Right. And I remember yep. like the, uh, I think it was like uh, you'd, a swimming pool would be dumped in like two seconds on so I'm just yeah. my notes when we're talking, right? That's where something it said at the off. Um yeah. So that's a huge amount of water, right? And then obviously it needed to be safe. And there were shots that were clearly not safe if you'd been for real with children in the foreground and blah, blah, blah. And all of the other stuff that had to go in when you're trying to get presumably stuff behind practical water and dealing with, mm-hmm light plates i just wonder if you could discuss that integration because i know it sounds like a general question but i swear to god i sat there going i still don't know how you pulled it off
2: (laughs) (laughs) well that's great i i appreciate that um but yeah it was it was uh it was a challenge in almost every way you would imagine um but still like i would i would absolutely uh advocate doing it the same way again um you know the practical dump tanks were ridiculous uh and the engineering behind it, you know, uh, Dan, um, it had he had it set up to where it would flow back into the tank, so you could have a continual flow. I oh, really that much water.
0: Yeah, it could it could continually flow. Because I was like going to ask you about that, like in terms of the reset times and stuff and setting up, and yeah, yeah okay, it was, wow, it, yeah, it was it was impressive. You
2: know, we didn't we never dumped an entire thing of water. So we, you know, we didn't have to take advantage of the, the continual flow, but the engineering was, it. um, and so the, the process was, and the the thought was get as much water into the set as you can that is safe. And, um, you know, that becomes, you know, it, it does look safe at a certain point. So what you end up seeing on screen for the final film is quite a bit of um, us basically matching some of the speed and some of the the general action of the water, but amping it up. So most of what you end up seeing on screen for the, the big dynamic scenes where people are in it uh, is replaced water. Okay.
1: So you so still they, get people they,
2: reacting to water. You still get like kind of large sprays of it off of things um, that we can keep.
0: Yeah. And we're basically integrating that back into CG water. So I'm thinking of that classic shot where I think it's a mother and a child, and it just looks like there's a tidal wave coming from behind them. Is that one of your shots? Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. So what am I looking at in that shot, which, by the way, just looks perfect? I, I put that on my showreel and just drop the mic and walk away. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so, yeah,
2: there there's dump, dump tanks happening on the day, um, quite a bit of water coming through the street. You know, um, and it basically, we did CG water to go on top of it. So what, you're, what you end up seeing is CG water.
0: Okay. So, so the actors that I'm seeing in the foreground are actually actors. They're not digital doubles, I presume? Yeah. Correct. Okay. And are they shot on a blue screen or a stake, Or are they actually in a, the environment where the tank is behind them effectively or the partial set is behind They're- them?
2: They're in the environment with uh the partial set of the temple behind them. Yeah. Um down the two streets at the end of the streets are the big dump tanks. Um, but they're shot in in situation, they're on the set. Um and uh with water rushing at them, um, we end up also de-aging the set behind them, or not de-aging, aging the set behind them. Sure. Um, so adding some 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 grime and some wear to the set itself, and then doing CG water uh, on top of the practical water and adding debris and all that in it. And then the interaction around the actors uh, is a combination of uh, additional CG work um, with some practical elements uh, mixed in as well to get them. Oh, so
0: so someone's throwing a bucket of water on them while wow. wow, you put in a giant tidal wave behind them uh, effectively. Is that what you're saying? Like... Uh,
2: no, so there's, so there's a real, you know, Decent amount of water coming at them. Okay, probably ends up being, you know, knee height to thigh height. Okay, uh, of water rushing at them that they're reacting to. We we put CG water in that's more kind of waist height or slightly higher that splashes uh, from their back around them to basically enclose uh, them in water.
0: Okay, so before I get to the next thing, I just want to clarify: is this just hard? core roto and comp work by dedicated people to get that stuff in the background like were there any tricks to get that stuff in the background no
2: no it's 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 a lot of hard work it's really really crafty skilled people
0: so so then if i could talk to sort of general principles of water on sets with people like okay so water just doesn't scale very well and Mm -hmm. Even if you've got it at scale, like you've actually got one to one relationship, sometimes it just looks really fake because it just does. Right. And then there are all these other weird phenomena, like, you know, rain doesn't show up very well on film for whatever reason. And so you have to put like twice as much in as you sort of expect. And then I guess the last point is if you are trying to shoot practical and scale it, you're often playing with speed because you, you know, can slow down water, you can get a sense of scale. So, in that pantheon of like traditional film effects issues on water, like where did you guys have to play? Did you, did you deploy any of those things or was it more like you had it from the Sims and the water was fine at, at, you know, 24 frames a 2nd i I'm just curious, like.
2: Yeah, no, I mean, the water was fine at 24 frames a second. It was, it was enough water. There was enough force to the water. And, you know, the, the key to us, like the the whole thing we were after was the people's interactions, right? So people struggling against water, like we were able to steal shots um, that were basically just all practical water. Uh, and then we would just have to color it to be, you know, dirty, basically, um, and put a little bit of debris. But there were, there were a handful of shots in the movie that were just practical
0: water, of uh, people struggling in it. And at no point, by the way, were you actually on set yourself? Yeah. yeah. Was there any discussion of like just, I mean, God, I would have just said, I'll let's shoot everything at 32 or 48 just for, you know, safety. But I guess you'd done what tests to to verify that? Well,
2: we had done tests at at 24. And I I believe Jeff had done tests at 48 as well. Um, But the thing to us was always uh, uh, shooting it with actors. Like we always wanted that that close interaction between the water and the actors and this and the set so you know the minute you get you put an actor in you know so either you're shooting them as separate elements and doing water work to integrate them into practical water which is always has um kind of telltale problems with it you know um in some kind of subtle way um so we we basically chose early on to live with what the water would do on set. You know, uh, Dan had done, I think, third scale build of the entire set and the and the dump tanks and um had done those tests and shown Ryan and, and everybody uh kind of agreed to that the speed and the, the flow of the, the dump tank water would, would work for what we needed.
0: Um and so, yeah, the, so the third scale kind of, stuff was only used for testing there was no actual third scale filmed for the final film? Correct. Right.
2: Correct.
0: Yeah, so it's, it's, it's a remarkable achievement in engineering, but also, as I say, a remarkable achievement in integration between visual and special effects because you just can't see the seams, right? And there's no sense, which, I mean, is just a complete compliment. There's no sense that I could tell, okay, that's a practical shot, that's an effect shot. Like there was no difference between those two, Which, which I guess to pull that off, you'd have had to have had pretty much final really good quality of the sort of anything that wasn't ilm's work effectively to make sure it matched in really well because you know like there must have been almost must have been some shots close-ups or whatever that were 100 practical right um yeah i spent a lot of time just making that match because that that's it wasn't just that the shot itself looked good it's that everything sat with its with it, relative to everything else in the in the sequence if that makes sense yeah
2: yeah yeah no it it does and it you're right like it 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 does become almost a uh, a harder challenge to to have hybrid you know s- sequences than to say it's all c g or you know every every time you see water is going to be c g water because then
0: it'll be consistent You, you, know? said you so, to, to to dirty the water up that was just uh, a directorial sort of request yeah well the, the
2: understanding of um of the progression of the water was important to Ryan, so that you know, when the, um, when the hydro bombs first burst, it's pure water. It's pure, clean water. Um, and then as it goes into this environment where there's, you know, red, red mud um, or red dirt uh, streets and, you know, this real natural build uh, in Wakanda, that it would start to pick up some of that color, some of that um, uh, diffusion, um, and there would be a sense of, of debris and
0: destruction. Flying with it. We've discussed the actors, which are brilliant in terms of scale. I mean, obviously that's good for just watching because it's the drama of it, but I mean, in terms of scale, it's a really good thing having people in there, but then like there are markets that are hit and there are, are a lot of, and so I'm thinking there must've been a lot of props. Did you just have like a whole sort of scanning session to produce a galaxy of, or a pantheon of digital props to like also put in your water sims?
2: Yeah, basically, like you know, the the set builds were pretty extensive, so we had we had all the props we could imagine um, to to scan. You know, down to you know baskets of fruit, every kind of fruit you'd want um, in the market. So, like, it was a a constant um, uh, you know management session of the library of what needs to be scanned, what's been scanned, you know, what would be good to have. You know in these kind of flowing waters you know what makes sense for it and then you know we also had props that were were
0: built in the first movie
2: that we were able to again kind of resurrect and and throw in for for extra
0: and and in terms of the art direction of uh, so so i understand obviously from what i've heard before that the wakanda has whole new sort of i don't know suburbs One a better term Um, in the second film that we didn't see in the first. So there are new areas which, of course, play because we've got that idea of being down by the docks and um, sort of areas Mm -hmm. that were more plot-relevant to the second film. Um, I'm just wondering, like, uh, did the Wakanda geography of the town have to change dramatically? Because there's not just how do I put in this new port and where does that go, but also I need the water to kind of move. And it did have a great sense of not just being water shot, water shot, water shot. Hey, now I can get back to the story again. Like it did feel like the the water was moving the plot forward. And so it made sense in a kind of progression, both logically as a filmmaker, but also just geographically in terms of watching it as an audience.
2: Yeah. No, it was, and I got to say like uh, Hannah and the and the art team, um, they did a masterful job of designing that up front. Um, so we would get, we would ba- basically get, uh, Unreal models, um, and scenes that had that, um, the, what we call the little river town, which was the the market area, um, integrated into our original city build, which we had provided to them early on, um, from the first movie so that they could actually do their work inside the framework of what we had built already. Um, so they had they had taken passes at uh designing that building it in in unreal so that we could actually fly a camera around and and um it was pretty well laid out for us by the time we we started construction
0: how tight was that loop in and out of unreal like i mean obviously you could do that with omniverse you could do it with just uh you know maya exports like how did that was it a just like a one-off export, or was it like a constant loop iteration? If something was up changed in Unreal, like how did that change filter through to your stuff?
2: Yeah, it was. We really only got a few um, kind of monolithic scenes sent to us, and we would uh, we built a, a bit of a pipeline to basically convert that out into, uh, uh, a, I believe it was a series of olympics that could be loaded. Uh, into Houdini. I could have that wrong. Um, but basically, what we ended up with was uh, uh, a scene in Houdini where we could toggle between our current build, the original uh, movie build, and the art department build, and the previous build. So we could toggle on and off you know, uh, versions of the city to make sure that we were staying kind of faithful.
0: I guess the other sort of part of that triangle is the practical sets, which would have presumably been all catted up as well, right? So in addition to what you might do in terms of a LIDAR, the reason I ask about that is because it struck me as you were talking that um, you know, just some like ordinary area like camera tracking, right? When there's a huge amount of water flying around, like this is terrible for camera tracking. And one of the things you might have going for you is a good understanding of the dry set, at least for um, kind of aligning cameras. I don't know if that was an issue or not. Yeah,
2: no, it was, it was, you know, um, and yeah, there was an extensive, you know, uh, as Marvel does really well, they document things, um, like, you know, they, they have a very well-structured set crew, um, and Clear Angle, um, uh, scanned the sets, um, extensively and, and delivered them to us, uh, as LiDAR that we used to track to, and for this movie, it was absolutely critical in addition to the water flying around the the anamorphic lenses um, that were used were heavily detuned and um had you know to the point of having you know probably more um characteristic
0: uh, So, you a bit like chromatic aberration and um yeah breathing. Just, and
2: and a lot of breathing, a lot of like um, soft spots in they the lens. They flare
0: really weird, don't they? If they're wide open, like they just get these kind of almost skewing kind of flares that are just horrendous. Yeah, I mean they're great yeah, on was, camera. Was, don't get me wrong about that, but they're like exactly, they're just horrendous. Right? Like,
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean it was beautiful, and and like Autumn, the the DP, you know, um, had a just very strong aesthetic she was after, which um, you know this gave her. Uh, but it is a nightmare to track through. And you know our our team, it was a constant struggle, but um, you know uh, well worth it in the end you know this to to be able to retain you know the the energy and the, the flow on set and, and have practical things that the the actors uh, have to react to and interact with, um, I think made a big difference in their scenes,
0: yeah, yeah, presumably, well, I don't know, did you sort of uh like how much of that stuff in terms of the look not not now the tracking the look added as like did you have sort of uh any custom kind of nuke things to try and get some of that back because if you've got a cg shot you still want it all to look like it was shot with that uh as you as you politely called it detuned lens yeah there was um uh, it was
2: a huge push for the production and um uh jeff uh bauman and, and michael Rolla, the 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 second uh Marvel Effect Soup, worked with Weta for probably six months, I want to say, to build a nuke tool that would basically emulate the lenses. Um, and with the, the idea and the correct thought that, you know, there would be so many vendors on the project that to keep a consistent look, um, they would need something that is a kind of a ground truth um, built for everyone. So Weta built this new tool newt gizmo tool that was incredibly complex um and distributed out to, to everyone um that basically had all the lenses mapped to and and all the various distortion aspects and chrome aberrations and breathing and limiting of the bouquets and everything um built into it um in dials that people could use and you know i think um I don't, you know, I've I, I've only talked to a few of the other vendors, um, but I know, you know, for us, you know, we have our own various recipes of of lens um, tools and Nuke that are, are kind of tried and true to our compositors, um, that we're able to basically get to the same look. But having it, having that tool, being able to basically use it for absolute reference for what this should get to uh was invaluable like it was a it was a really strong um decision made at the beginning of the show that really came through at the end
0: yeah yeah and it's really great that those tools get shared between the vendors because as you say like it's a waste of effort to just have to replicate it between facilities and it doesn't even guarantee uh consistency even if you could replicate it between facilities
2: um, no, I think it would have been just a, you know a nightmare for for Jeff and for for Rala to to try to even communicate you know to each individual vendor what the various aspects of the lenses that were missing in each shot you know that the things become so subtle and it becomes such a textural combination of of, of things that give you your final tapestry of an image that. I think if you if they didn't spend the time and the money to to try to provide this to people, it would have been something they chased for the whole show.
0: Yeah, uh, could you just give me the tech specs on what you were working? Was it a four K delivery, and uh, was there any consideration for like ultra high dynamic range stuff?
2: Uh, oh boy, uh, it was a two K delivery. Okay, yeah, it was two K. There was a there was a high dynamic range uh, component to it. Um, but not something that was, um, you know, other than we, you know, most, most people, you know, us included work in, in a high dynamic range anyway. Yeah, you're, so
0: you already unplo- really I just wondered yeah. when in terms of reviews and stuff, whether you paid any attention, to, cause obviously the file format totally supports it. Um, and it's, a, you know, it's going to be delivered in both formats effectively but whether you had any review or does ILM take any view on kind of like just reviewing that material upstream of what would be, of course, the final grade.
2: No, no. I mean, there are times where, and shows that, that, um, you know, there are design aspects to the footage and to the actions that, that are specific to aerodynamics range where, you know, you do pay kind of extra uh, attention to, to make sure that it hits a certain certain mark, for us, it's it's more a management of protection, um, and you know, I don't think we really designed anything specifically to take advantage of high dynamic range. Um, we just, again, for us, it was more um, providing protection and latitude for them to take it where they needed to.
0: From your point of view, was the grade far from what you were? I mean, presumably you had some kind of like a preview lot, but like, did the grade go much sort of different from how you were viewing the material? Because obviously, you're going to maintain all of that latitude and and uh, not park somebody into a corner on the grade. But was the final footage yeah. moved much from where you were?
2: Uh, you know, it, it. I wouldn't say a lot, but it was. It was moved. Um, you know, there was a. Um, uh, there was a real, there was a look put on it. And, you know, it it was a look that I think Autumn was always headed toward, um, which is this, you know, very kind of uh, uh, earthy and almost constrained feel. Like there was, you know, in, in discussions that I think happened outside of me, um, you know, I, there was... Ryan always had uh, a real vision for, you know, the the tone of the film, and you know, I think the grade carried through that vision in that you know he wanted it to feel different than the first movie. It's a different point of view than the first movie. This is this is Shuri's point of view, um, you know. So it he wanted it to look differently and have a bit of her. Um I want to say like angst or um anger almost into it, you know, which is um like contrast but but constricted uh palette a little bit.
0: Yeah, I mean this is and, and look, Craig, you know I me mean, like I'm like really heavily into the tech and the visual effects side of it, but this is a film that was both important and significant because of events outside the film. And and it resonated with an audience at both of those levels as well. So I'm really interested to hear that some of those tonal aspects, which were, you know, obviously incredibly serious and uh, and important, kind of filtered through to what I'm hearing about almost in terms of what is it, lighting and staging? Like, how would you, or is it more nebulous than that?
2: Um, no, it's it certainly, I mean, it was certainly... Um, very present on set in the lighting um you know autumn again autumn had a very strong um vision for how this would would tie into what ryan wanted it was um you know there was a lot of negative light used um to get kind of contrast levels you know e- even in daylight and that would have a very serious tone to it you know it would it would give it kind of a just a general base um, uh, darkness in the film that you know it it kind of forces it, it does it kind of forces a serious
0: tone to it um yeah yeah I mean I think there's there's a gravitas with this film that you know is why obviously it the film itself was in such Oscar discussion separate to the visual effects and why uh you know it seems I mean certainly when when one thinks of the film like you tend to Obviously you remember the visual effects sequences because they're epic, but it's not the comical tone of you know wild visual effects. it's a more there's sort of visual effects with pathos almost and and it's an interesting thing how that comes through because again, it would have been disrespectful and not served the film that you could have done the story, but it was all bright and perky and you know superhero action um and then you'd suddenly hit these. Uh, what would then take a solemn moment and turn it sour, I think, if you then sort of cut that with sort of grieving and some of the issues that were associated with the the subtext. Um, Yeah, great.
2: Yeah.
0: I guess it's it's a combination of like so many things, but then that's why I guess it's so important for you to be so in sync with the uh, production supervisors and of course the director and the DOP because uh, you have to... I guess inform those at like a hundred little places rather than one or two big places. I'm guessing. Yeah, yeah.
2: I mean, it all has to work together, or, or something that, um, something that constant and consistent um, fractures, and you know, um, you, you're left with more confusing tone than than a unified tone, and it is it is in everything from you know the the texturing of the buildings and the weathering tones and and you know the even the the kind of tribal patterning um, you know has to all exist in forms and color tones that support what's the eventual mood of the film is um, and it is it's it's basically filters down to every level and every decision. Yeah, but I yeah. will say like. It it was. They did not make it hard to understand that that tone sure. and that
0: vision. Yeah, but as I say again, as a compliment, like it could have fractured so that it was like, sort of, because I mean, like let's face it, a lot of the Marvel stuff is fantastical with a wry comedic kind of nod and a wink, right? Like it's, yeah. and, and if you'd had that fun superhero go get them rah 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 kind of vibe to what some of the stuff that was happening and and especially the location the the basically the stage that you're building for those actors to perform on in a mm. visual sense. It would have just been incongruous. And uh, yeah. I think you guys did a remarkable job. You obviously deserve the uh, the nomination. But also, I mean the work is technically great, but yeah, that tonality is just a an extra dimension one wouldn't have anticipated on a normal film, I imagine.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Well I mean one of the first things we shot was the uh, the funeral procession. Oh wow! Right, so um, you know that sets a tone pretty deeply, pretty early, um, and it was a it was an amazing scene in that, like you know, it's it's visually striking, like the music is actually on set, and you know the the whole procession of the dancers and everything culminating in in that funeral scene like it's 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 a powerful way to start and it kind of uh i think let everyone on the production know you know um what was important
0: to every you know the filmmaker well look thanks so much for taking time to talk to us um uh... of course of course anytime mike
1: Well, thanks so much, Craig, for taking the time to chat with us. We really appreciate it. And as Mike mentioned, congratulations on the nomination. Well, that's it for this episode. If you have any questions or comments for us, for Mike and I, uh, there's a contact link on every single page of Effects Guide. If you scroll down to the bottom, just click on that. uh, Send us your message, and it goes to both Mike and I. We'd appreciate to hear any comments or suggestions or anything else related to Effects Guide. Thanks so much for taking the time to listen. For Mike Seymour, I'm John Montgomery. We'll see you next time on the FX Podcast.
0: Please let us know if you have any suggestions for stories or future podcasts.
2: You can reach us by clicking the Contact Us link at the top of the homepage. This podcast is copyright FX Guide, LLC. Broadcast or redistribution is prohibited without the expressed written consent of FX Guide.